Welcome to the CCF Iowa podcast. Hey there, and welcome back to Real Talk. This is Real Talk Episode 2, and for a little context, you don't have to listen to Episode 1 to listen to Episode 2. These are all non-sequential, non-relating to one another, but I do still encourage you to go back and listen to Real Talk 1, where we talked about Palm Springs. This is uh, What we're doing during Real Talk is we're talking about movies or TV shows, something that you see uh, on the screen, something in pop culture that really causes you to to think about something and to question something, uh, to have ideas about philosophy or morality or uh, anything of that sort. And so, man, what better place to talk about philosophy than The Good Place? Now, I'm not going to spoil the show for you if you haven't seen the show, but I will just kind of tell you that that that's all roots in an argument. I will give some information about the show itself. And so if you're worried about spoilers, this is not going to be a place that you can't be welcome. This is a place that if you've seen the show, great. If you've seen the episode, great. If you haven't, then honestly, no worries. And let's just talk about some philosophy for a little bit. Now, first of all, I want to start today by telling you a story. Maybe you know the story of Oedipus, or maybe you simply know about an Oedipus complex, but the story of Oedipus goes a little something like this. See, when Oedipus was born, there was a prophecy about what was going to happen to Oedipus. There was a prophecy that he was going to kill his father and marry his mother. And his mother and father knew about this prophecy. They were told this prophecy after he was born, and so... What do you do in that situation other than obviously leave your kid out in the woods in order to try to break that prophecy? And obviously I'm not actually suggesting that you should take your child and abandon him in the woods. But that's what Oedipus's parents decided to do uh, to try to break that prophecy because you can't kill your father and marry your mother if you don't know who they are. And if you don't know where they are, you don't know anything about them, right? But this wound up turning back on them, and some strangers found him in the woods. They picked him up and adopted him, and eventually the prophecy became true because on his way to town, to the big city, uh, Oedipus found his father accidentally and killed him, and then went to the city and found his mother and thought she was absolutely gorgeous, and the mother and father had split by this point, and so Oedipus married his mother, and at the end they find, you know, they find out that Oedipus was the son, and it leaves you with this really icky feeling to yourself. And what's the point of that story? Maybe you've never thought about it before. Maybe you've only uh, heard it just sort of as a story that people tell because people tell stories. Or maybe you've thought uh, about it only because of the Oedipus complex being that somebody has an, an attraction to their mother. Sigmund Freud was very popular in that line of thinking. And uh, maybe you've just never thought about the point of the story, but here's the point to the story of Oedipus, is that there is no escaping fate. That what has been declared, what has been set, will, by one means or another, come true. Now, last time we did Real Talk, we talked about Palm Springs, and we talked about how every cause has an effect. And I'm willing to believe that most of us probably also believe that our thoughts and actions are done freely. But... Here's where the fun starts, is that those two statements themselves aren't necessarily compatible. So enter determinism. Here we're talking about the good place. This comes from an episode uh, in season three, episode eight. 
And the the episode starts off with this. So if you're thinking about the show, if you haven't watched it anytime recently, the episode episode starts with with Eleanor, our main character, getting glimpses of the afterlife uh, when she's in the real world, when she's living again. And um, and so that's the way the episode starts. There's a really funny scene with her and Ted Danson, who plays Michael, uh, in the library in a library, and they put in his earbuds to show her glimpses of the afterlife. But of course. Humans aren't supposed to be able to understand the afterlife until they're living in it. And so, uh, you know, Michael warns her and she freaks out and she instantly loses all of her hair and, you know, some, some other comedic effects to show the damage. So maybe you remember that scene, at least specifically. That's the episode we're talking about. And the whole episode really just focuses on Michael and Eleanor. And what happens is... Eleanor is really stuck in this position of believing in determinism. Determinism meaning that everything happens. There is no changing fate. There is no controlling fate. One way or another, X will happen. And and Eleanor is, is believing that because of a relationship that she has with the character on the show and how she thinks that one way or another, you will get back to that point. And, um, and so that's what she's really struggling with with believing and uh and that's really the way that she is she is set and michael is there to show that you have a choice in things and that your decisions change the effect of things and we're going to get there in a second but we're going to talk about determinism for for just a little bit because determinism is the theory that we have no control of our actions that everything happens by some sort of external force and by that we have no control or no free will And in order to understand determinism, we also have to understand the principle of alternate possibilities. The principle of alternate possibilities essentially says that action is free if the agent could have done otherwise. So there must be options to truly choose actions. If I walk into a subway and they are completely out of meat except for ham and cheese, that is not a choice that I have. I have to get a ham and cheese sub. But if I walk into a subway on a normal day when they're completely stuck, all of a sudden I have choices. So the principle of alternate possibilities essentially says there has to be alternate possibilities that somebody could choose from in order for there to be choices. And determinism itself doesn't really allow for options because what determinism is saying, if you walk into a subway even with a full menu and you get a Italian BMT, you were always going to get an Italian BMT no matter how things worked out that way. So let's think a little bit in terms of branching timelines. So um, there, there's a couple different ways that we can think of time travel. There's a couple different ways that we can think of, of you know, in, in a sense, of changing a linear timeline. And so one example we can think of is the Back to the Future timeline. So think of Back to the Future, where there is this main character, Marty McFly, who travels to the past to change a, a point in the past, and that itself is going to alter the future. So Marty goes back because he wants to save Doc Brown. And in doing so, he has created an alternate future. So essentially that first timeline that he lived never existed. And when he goes back to the present, that they that all of a sudden a different outcome is there because he's able to save Doc Brown. He's able to tell him to remember to put on a bulletproof vest. And so the there are actions and choices and, and lots of things that are different. 
uh, from this original timeline. That's one way we can think of it is just it creates a new reality. There's only ever one reality, but realities can change if you affect the past. Another way we can think of time travel is we can think of something like Avengers Endgame, which says uh, that when, when you mess with reality itself, when you mess with time travel and things like that, you wind up just creating branch realities uh, only with specific instances, though. And so the, the, the branch realities each kind of carry out different things, but it's not ultimately a wide web. It's a relatively small web or it could potentially be a wide web depending on how much you want to mess with the fabric of reality. Personally, I don't really want to mess with the fabric of reality at all. And then there's the third way that we could think of time travel, which is best illustrated in the movie 12 Monkeys, which just says that there is always one linear timeline. And if you go back to try to change something, you wind up finding out that you either could not change something or you were actually the causation that caused something to happen the way that it did. And so uh, time travel does not affect the future at all, right? That's the three ways we can think of it. And determinism itself... It kind of doesn't necessarily follow either of those. It kind of talks a little bit more uh, about the 12 monkeys reality that kind of there's only one timeline. Because while we might think of time travel being something like, okay, well, if I choose to you know, go to this college instead of this college, that creates a whole big branch of a timeline. But then, of course, the friends that I meet, the people that I encounter, the, the degree that I study, uh, the, the, the groups that I get involved with, a lot of these things are going to wind up changing as well. And so because of one choice, there's a million different choices by the time you get you know, seven or eight steps down the web. And that itself sh- creates a, has, has several different possibilities for an option. We just live in one of them in in whatever time and you know there is no way to predict what happened there is no way to understand what's going to happen time travel would would show a different uh, a different reality if we made different choices but what determinism is saying is that there's always one timeline no matter how uh how it is affected and so if you walk into a subway today and to get an italian bmt it's because Either you wanted to get one or maybe you heard me talk about it and then all of a sudden you went and got an Italian BMT. And that was always going to be the case. There's there's several reasons why, why you could have chosen to do the Italian BMT. But no matter what, you were always going to get an Italian BMT. And I promise Subway is not paying me to say all this. <laughs> uh, so... There's a little bit of relief for you. Now, let's talk about the other end of the spectrum if we talk about liberal free will. So liberal free will essentially says that, for example, uh, yesterday for breakfast, I ate a bowl of cereal simply because I wanted to eat a bowl of cereal. Uh, And that there are two different types of causation. See, there is event causation, which says that physical events cause physical events. That makes sense to us. that a baseball flies because it is hit by a bat. But in a way, this is deterministic. But it's only in a physical sense because determinism would say that, you know, there's a baseball bat and obviously there, you know, he was meant to hit the ball and there's always going to be, as long as you make contact with the ball, it's always going to go and there was always meant to be that ball fly. There could be, the physical events uh, causing physical events is itself deterministic. But then there's also agent causation. Agent causation says that an agent, meaning the person that is doing the action, can start a chain of causality that wasn't caused by anything else. So let's take the same example of a batter hitting a baseball. A, a, the batter is the agent, chose 
to hit the ball. He could have chosen not to hit the ball, or he could have chosen you know, to swing a little bit later, or to swing a little bit earlier, which would have a, have a different effect on where the ball went. Um, the pitcher or the catcher could have chose to throw a different pitch. Uh, but So what determinism says is it was always going to be a fastball right down the middle, always going to be a home run. But the, the agent causation is going to say, you know, maybe it was a fastball, maybe it was in the upper left corner, and maybe it was a swing and a miss. Or maybe the batter didn't even choose to swing at all in that one. And so agent causation has the, the capacity to... Uh, make a a different outcome because if you take away one part of something, then it changes everything that happens after, and so that's what liberal liberal the difference between liberal free will and uh, and uh, determinism is, and so all this really br- brings uh, us to 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 ask ourselves what makes us make a decision and frankly if you can answer that question you just proved that your actions are determinism by cause and so you see how this all really becomes a catch 22 so a couple things about determinism we're heading back there determinism it has a has a couple different things to to understand about it first of all there is reductionism which essentially says that all parts of the world and our experience can be traced back to a singular thing and that what was always will be and you know there there is always 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 something that can be traced back to a singular thing determinism also has to understand that there there is a three part uh, this equation, let's think of it like that way, this plus this plus this equals this, uh, the, the equals is always going to be action. And the things that make up an action, this makes sense from a psychological standpoint, is belief, desire, and temperament. So belief, obviously, meaning that you think that something can happen. Desire, meaning that you you have a, a leaning towards a certain way. And a temperament, meaning what mood you're in. So, for example, um, a hung, uh, the... When you're hungry, you believe that you need to eat food. Your temperament is going to determine what food you want to eat. So let's just say you're in the mood for a burger and the desire is really going to lean into, all right, now that I've decided what burger I'm going to get, now do I desire a cheap McDonald's burger or do I desire go into something a little bit nicer to get a nice, you know, better quality, not thrown on a steamer for 10 seconds burger. Something that's actually flame grilled, something that... Um, is, is cooked medium or medium well and says something that has just that sauce that just re- makes your mouth water and, and and just brings you pure ecstasy and dopamine. And for this equation, we think about this belief plus desire plus temperament equals an action. All you have to do is just change one and you get an outcome. But just because we can't pinpoint everything exactly doesn't mean we can't isolate isolate them to know the beliefs, the desires, and the temperament of our being. Because we can understand these things about one another. And frankly, the beliefs of, of everybody seems to be a little bit different. Uh, or at least you know, to some extent uh, about what you truly believe is, is real. I mean, there are people that still believe that the earth is flat Uh, and then there is um desire is different for everybody and temperament is different for everybody on an hour minute by minute basis even right and so when you're taking all this into account i mean couldn't you just say that well couldn't you just flip a coin and then that itself would debunk the theory of determinism but no you can't because your decision you could choose to flip a coin but your decision to flip a coin was just as determined as everything else and so when we talk about all this in a way, it's it's long and complicated and 
Uh, and it, it, I, I'm just trying to give you the very basic for what you can understand about what determinism says. But here's where we really need to land is that where is morality in all of this? I want to tell you a story about uh, a person, a man, uh, who in the year 2000 was arrested for child pornography and molestation of his eight-year-old stepdaughter. Now, this is clearly a terrible case, and this is clearly something that just shouldn't be happening anymore. But I bring this up uh, to not to glorify what's happening, but to get an understanding of a certain situation. Now, this man who was arrested for these terrible, heinous acts was had no history of pedophilia, no inclinations, nothing like that. And according to him, he was baffled by a sudden turn towards that way. And so the medical experts and psychologists all decided that, hey, let's take a scan of his brain. And what they found is there's a large tumor on his front part of the brains, which is the brain that controls your sexual impulses. And so they had surgery to remove the tumor. And as the tumor was removed, all of a sudden his desires went away until they came back. But when they scanned him again because his desires had come back, the tumor had also regrown. And so they removed the tumor permanently this time, and since then, he hasn't had any desires towards pedophilia. Now, given what we've talked about, determinism and liberal free will, was his actions, was his behavior free will, or was it determined by a medical condition. Is it one of the two? Is it neither? Is it both? Whatever your opinion has to, happens to be, uh, that, that is your opinion to make. Or maybe you were determined to make it. But we're going to talk about compatibilism for just a second. So all of a sudden, enter compatibilism. Compatibilism says that the universe operates with order and the past determines the future, but some human actions are really free. Now, here's where the difference becomes of compatibilism versus determinism or liberal free will is because compatibilism defines which actions are truly free based off of one description, and that's internal versus external force. Whatever happens, the result is going to be the same, but the cause is going to be different. So let's take uh, let's take an example of um, we're at the pool and and we're at a really high diving board. And if you're like me, you're scared of heights. Um, so let's just say I'm up. Or let, let's say you're not me. Let's say I'm me because I am scared of heights. And so I'm at the edge and I just can't quite muster up the gusto to jump off this diving board. Now, there's really three main options that could happen. Uh, One is that I could eventually choose to jump. One is that I could walk back down the other side of the diving board and climb down the ladder in that climb of shame and then go do something else with my day. Or the other one is you could push me. That's really our three main alternatives for how I'm getting off that diving board. I guess I could just stand there until I die, but, you know, that's not a good option. And so, uh, so... Let's take a look at the at this in uh in really just the the first two uh, the the three aspects that I talked about is that uh, you know I could either uh, jump I could climb back down the ladder or you could push me by jumping I am making an internal decision to jump off of that board I chose my action by going back down the ladder by doing the climb of shame uh, the the descent of shame then. Uh, then I am also choosing that action. But I have no control if you push me off of that diving board because I was not the catalyst for that action. I was merely an agent. 
and you were also an agent and you made an internal force to push me, which was the external force. So by your making a decision for me, that your decision caused my hitting the water, right? And all this brings into account, we have to talk about moral responsibility for just a second. And so uh, moral responsibility, according to compatibilism, says that actions that are chosen internally have moral responsibility. And so let's take an example of uh, sneezing, right? So you can't really control if you sneeze, right? Even if you try your hardest, you can't control it because sneezing is something that just typically happens. And so I can't really be mad at you if we're sitting and eating lunch and you sneeze, right? Here's what I can be mad about you though for is if we're sitting there eating lunch and you deliberately, instead of sneezing into your elbow or your shoulder or just anywhere else, sneeze into my food. All of a sudden I can be mad at you because a sneeze is is a is is an action that you really don't have control over, but you do have control over where you sneeze. And I'm going to be really mad. Please don't sneeze in my food. You're going to lose a friendship if you sneeze in my food. But um, uh, but I I can be mad at you for that. Now let's take this into another example, something that's a little bit more complex, something that's a little bit more uh, perhaps even gray on the scale or something that's not quite so black and white, right? Let's, let's say, for example, you go out to a bar and you start drinking. Now, I can't really be mad at you for your actions because you don't really have much control over what's going on if you choose to shout at me angrily or something like that. Uh, but I can ch- blame you uh, for getting intoxicated, especially if you know that when you get intoxicated, you get drunk or for choosing to get intoxicated in public instead of private. And like, I'm not trying to encourage you to get intoxicated, especially if you don't handle alcohol very well. But what I am trying to say is you see where matters get a little bit complicated. You see how if you have a certain temperament or you have a certain desire that all of a sudden that changes some of the ways of your being and all of a sudden you you make a decision and you might not even necessarily be incredibly responsible for it depending on how people rule. I mean, that's the whole reason why we have local government and then we have things like the Supreme Court that are able to make decisions that are really hard to make, right? And so the question becomes, how much control do I really have? And I want to take all this just very briefly into a matter of how do you really think that that free will and God's plan align in your life. And there's two wide ends of the spectrum. There is determinism and there is liberal free will in the term of uh, of theology as well. And the 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 idea that you might have heard of a lot is Calvinism. Calvinism falls very in line with determinism, saying that you know there are people that will go into heaven because God has made it to where they're going to go into heaven, right? And it's and it's a matter of every action that I've committed, and this is the hardcore side of, of Calvinism, says that every act I committed, me choosing to record this podcast, uh, me choosing to uh, to say the words exactly the way that I'm saying them, the, cho- the choosing this good place topic for determinism to, uh, to talk about, um, to talk about this with you, was all picked by God and all micromanaged by God. And the other side of this this theology branch with Calvinism, you have somebody who would claim to be an Armenian. Now, Armenian is very much that liberal free will saying that, well, God gave us, gave us controls over our actions. Therefore, every choice that I make is my own. But 
I'm also here to tell you today that you don't have to fall into either of those two categories. You could choose to say, well, you know, I think that God controls the big events in my life, but I don't think that God particularly chose every single word that I said today. Maybe he just really had control over what I chose to do with my day, or maybe God just helps guide me in directions of what I'm going to do with my life. You know, you that's very acceptable. Uh, you to, for for how you choose to believe because this is the way that you wire yourself. This is the way that you choose to see the world. This is the way that you choose to see how God interacts with the world with you. What I'm, I'm just trying to say, you could be completely on the Calvinist side or on the Armenian side and we can still be friends, right? I mean, unless you're your belief of determinism says that we can't be friends, then, you know, I don't know what to, what to do about that. But, but what I'm saying is that you, that I don't, I don't have the answer. I don't have the answer on how we are to interpret uh, determinism in terms of theology, but here's, here's what I personally believe. Here's why I, where I think everything f- uh, comes down to, right? In the episode of the good place, Michael finally breaks Eleanor's belief in determinism by dumping a glass of iced tea on her head and saying that uh, Eleanor shouts, why did you do that? And Michael says, because I chose to. Now, this is a very simplistic answer to get a a resolution for a half-hour TV show that focuses on philosophy a little bit, right? Because a deterministic-minded person could simply say that Michael was always meant to dump a glass of iced tea on Eleanor's head, right? But the point is still there. The message still got across. And here's really where you land. Here's really why I can't fully believe in a deterministic mindset of the world. And here's where it really all falls apart. Eleanor says this line and she says, if everything, if determinism is real and we really have no free will, if we have no control over our actions, then all the stuff that we're doing to put more good in the world It's just pointless. And here's what I believe. I believe that whatever answers we have, either God will answer in heaven or they just won't be important anymore. That's what I believe about all these things. I don't think that we come across St. Peter at the gate and we get to be like, hey, like, by the way, like, how did all this work? I I don't think that's how it works because I think that when we get to heaven, those questions don't become important anymore. But here on earth, those questions have to be important to us. And if I choose to believe in a deterministic mindset with my view of the world, then simply the world will be and there's nothing I can do to change it. There's nothing I can do to alter the course, to to try to serve people well, to try to put more good in the world, to try uh, to be the best I can be. If determinism is real, then... I don't really have to go tell my neighbor about who Jesus is and how he affects my life. If determinism is the way that it goes, then I don't really have to choose to live every day to carry my cross and to follow Jesus. And I'm not trying to persuade you in a way uh, to say that one side is right or the other side is wrong or that neither side is right or both are wrong. I'm trying to get you to form your own opinion and to let you know where I stand and to let you know that there is an important decision that you need to make about how you choose to see the world because for the case of that man in 2000 who was arrested for child pornography and, and molesting a seven, eight, eight-year-old stepdaughter, excuse me, 
you need to determine, you need to understand how you choose to view that. Who was at fault? Is he morally responsible for that or not? And you have to be able to back your opinion. And not just for cases like this, but for all cases, things political and non-political, you have to be able to make these choices to, uh, to choose how you see the world and how you are going to interact with it every day. Thanks for checking out Real Talk this week, and uh, I really hope you got something from this. And uh, next week we'll be coming back, and we will be talking a little bit about the Zodiac Killer. Hey, thanks for spending time with us today. If you have any questions about what you heard or any interest in learning more about CCF in Iowa, then please email us at ccf.uiowa at gmail.com, and we would love to get you connected.